to the Burnout Podcast, where we discuss all things agile software development and delivery. We will be giving you an honest take on tools and techniques. We'll share our experiences, debunk myths, and hopefully provide needed inspiration. Hi, I'm Todd Anderson, Consultant Delivery Manager. I've done just about every job in IT, from tech support, programmer, network security, project and program management. I can't say I've done everything, but I've seen a lot. And I'm Marcel Britsch, digital consultant, business analyst and product owner. I've worked in digital before this even had a name, and since have been quite a bit around the block. And this is my way of giving back to the industry. So sit back, relax and settle in for this week's episode. Hi everybody, Marcel and I are talking to you from Bangalore, India today, as you can tell from all the honking in the background, and we're going to talk to you about offshoring and distributed teams, and we're here with our colleague Swati Padar. Swati, do you want to introduce yourself quick? Hi, I'm Swati Padar, I'm a business analyst and software consultant. I mainly work out of India, uh, mostly worked on distributed deliveries. I've also worked in the UK and the US with the clients. Yeah, that's me. Excellent. Cool. If you haven't got the time to listen to the full episode today, um, here is a quick summary. So we believe that, of course, co-located teams are easiest to run, but they're not always feasible. Globalization and distributed organizations means that offshoring and distributed teams are here to stay, be this for cost efficiencies, scale or multi-region support. So we just need to get used to it. Here is how to make them work. Hire skilled talent put conscious effort into forming and supporting distributed teams, align all stakeholders on those efforts, and definitely over-communicate, build relationships. To make this really work, you need to put the effort in. Be under no illusion, distributed teams come at a cost, usually the cost of communication overhead. If you get it wrong, you will suffer all sorts of problems from inefficiencies to quality issues, demotivation, frustrated colleagues, low quality of output. If you get it right, it will make your delivery cheaper, faster, and better. So shall we go right into the first discussion point? When we say distributed teams or offshoring, how does that look like, Todd? What do you think? Yeah, so, I mean, trip, yeah, typically I think is offshoring is what people know it as. There's another, there's another term, nearshoring, too, which I'll also explain. But it's, it's really the concept of not having a team co-located in, in a single office. Um, Offshoring usually refers to maybe quite far away, a different different country um, that's possibly many time zones away. And nearshoring refers to a similar situation where it might be a different country, except it's closer a time zone to to where you are. So, you know, I, I don't know if we if it's really all about offshoring. It's probably you know any distributed team. You know, you could definitely have a same situation even if two different teams in the same you know, the same country and on different coasts or something like that. I think a lot of the things we're going to talk about are pretty applicable to all that. Mm -hmm. So you've worked on, of course, on the on the receiving end, um, in quotation marks, of, of, of distributed teams um, or offshoring. Um, how did that normally look like? Was that mostly you as a team executing against clients' wishes? Or was, was there something where the clients were on site and was shared, co-located? Uh, well, it depended uh, based on the project, actually. Uh, different projects, uh, 
the requirements changed differently. Uh, there were times when we were just like a support team uh, from uh -huh. the offshore where we supported whatever decisions were made, uh, wherever the core location of the team was. Um, there were times when we were a strategically placed team and we could collaborate with the client and rest of the teams and get the delivery sorted. So. You, you said to me, like, I think you worked in the US or with US clients a lot. And there seems to be a slight difference to working with European clients in that respect. Yeah, it took a lot of time to actually gain the trust when it was U.S. clients. Maybe it was specific to that particular client. Um, but we did take about nine months to a year, basically, to uh, get them to trust us, to know for them to know that we can make decisions too, that we can also drive deliveries from our end and not just act like a support system for them, uh, where we kind of were... You know, just listening to whatever they said, they would actually speak to the actual clients, and we wouldn't be anywhere on those calls. Or so that's maybe a good point then to talk about, like, why did our clients expect offshoring and, and, and distributed teams? And the most, the, the, the most frequent case I come across is that's cheap. That, yeah, that seems yeah, to be the, it's, the, the, it's, it's yeah. usually a budget reason. And you know, so people, yeah, it's cheaper. So they have X amount they want to get done. Mm -hmm. They plan X amount. They they work out how many people it's gonna gonna take and. They, they realize they don't have the budget for all of it, so you know they, they decide to put more people on an offshore team. That's usually the primary motivation. That's I, I think that's the only motivation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not we, sure. we, well, we, we spoke about like you know um, working with the sun kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm not fully convinced that that is necessarily really working in in, in, in all cases. But have you, have, has any one of you guys worked with the sun? Because I like having multiple yeah. multiple yeah. locations, so to, you to always have the time zones, basically. I think that'd be really great for a support perspective. You know, if there's some, you know, if you're doing heavy DevOps backend type stuff, and you had very similar skill sets on on each on each uh, leg of the, yeah. the the sun, then that that could probably work very well. The problem is, you know, what happens when team A has to talk to the third team in the line and, you know, there's either zero overlap or very little overlap and you have to coordinate, then somebody's always, always handing over and that, that doesn't seem to make sense really to me. You know, I know we'll talk about the challenges, but one of the main challenges is, is about communication, right? So, Yeah, I wonder because the, the benefits are apart from cost is, of course, that you can maybe you have larger resource pool, right? Um, you have certain countries which have highly skilled workforce in that in that respect. I mean, India has, of course, the, the reputation of having a large workforce, IT workforce. That are benefits, but at the same time, I feel, I mean, we have experiences on our projects where um, if you have just half a day of overlap, then one team starts either working very early or another team, as we've experienced while we're here in Bangalore, that you start working late hours because the other team just, you know, you, you just need to need to extend the overlap of time. And, I don't know, Swati, from your perspective, has that been a problem with your teams, that the work hours were cra getting crazy? Yeah, it, it actually depends. But between UK and, I mean, Europe and India, it's four and a half to five and a half hours, so it's it's not too drastic. But when we do work with US clients, it's literally uh, your 10 o'clock is there, 8 a.m., basically. Yes. And that's when it gets difficult. So even when we say distributed delivery and across time zones, I guess, like Todd said, depending on where that team sits in, the challenge actually is bigger. Um, but having worked with folks in US, it, it hasn't been too crazy. They have they have accommodated to come in, you know, by six a.m. their time, or you know, collaborate as much as possible, which is very important when you're a distributed delivery to make sure everybody's on the same page. They would come in early and then. 
would work together. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm sure somebody could probably work out some sort of formula that the number of time zones difference. Yeah. <laughs> that's is, the only um, way it works, the, the efficiency, yeah, yeah. right. And, and yeah, the, the least efficient the, the delivery can be because, you know, it's just that having that overlap is, is really important. Mm-hmm. And, and um, yeah, it's difficult when people are really forced to work shifted hours on both sides too, because usually it, there's an earlier start too. Sometimes to to make sure meetings happen to mm, to give both yeah. teams you know a fair shake at, at, at understanding what they're working on. So I mean, what I find at the moment is what we what we do is we have the kind of the shared meetings like stand-ups and stuff kind of in the in the middle of the day of of, of one team, and <laughs> sometimes I get up early to find time before that with the team in India, and then I think sometimes the team in India stays late to find times afterwards. But you work around the, the, the core hours, really, and you extend it both directions. Right. That can work, work quite well. I mean, we're talking challenges here, so time overlap is a challenge. Um, any other challenges we can think of talking about? Yeah, yeah I, mentioned, I mentioned communications. I think, I think that's the biggest one, right? You know, there's nothing that really replaces face-to-face interaction. And, you know, so we, I mean, luckily, you know, we live in a, a day and age where you have things, you know, like Skype and Zoom and, and all these different kind of products. Video conferencing tools. Video yeah. conferencing tools where you can share screens. You, and and it's, it's fairly effective. I, you know, I think once you're used to working in that way, it's actually a pretty effective way to work. And it, it doesn't feel, you know, it feels like someone's just working from home, you know, so it doesn't feel like a huge handicap um, in that respect. I don't know, Swadi, do you have a, a different opinion on that? Um, no, actually, I agree with you. But the, uh, the main challenge that I have seen, because I've mostly worked in distributed mm-hmm. teams, is if you do not do the separation properly, like each team being autonomous and working independently of the other. And that's when I think the major challenge is because the one team is already wa- always waiting for the other team to come in and do a bit of handover and then take yes. And that, I think, is a bigger challenge. And I guess that's where that's when, Marcel, you said in the beginning that we always need to over-communicate because you always need to uh, collaborate, make sure that the distance is not there. I definitely want to talk about this a bit later as well, so keep the thought around how we can distribute the teams and make work well. And I think there is something to do about, like, uh, responsibilities and stuff. So, yeah. so we'll, all that thought, but we'll definitely come back to that. But when you say communication, so okay, we have kind of three people from different different countries in the room, right? American, a German, and, and, and someone from India. So um, we already have different accents, right? Speaking English. Uh, I mean, you know. But what accent? <laughs> I don't have an accent. <laughs> well, I certainly do, apparently. Um, so. Um, but, but there is also communication. Um, shall we quickly talk about cultural differences? And, and I think there's cultural differences between uh, roles, ways of working. Um, different offices have different styles of working. Also, the, the classic uh, cultural differences. And, and I, think, um, I think we've maybe all struggled a little bit at, at times with teams where just because you hadn't met face-to-face, you were making assumptions how people behaved or what they were thinking, and you maybe weren't fully understanding them. And I, I'm not sure... What, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're reading Slack and there's you know someone's writing you a Slack message and you read it the wrong way, it's like you know reading email. It's just not high bandwidth enough, and you're like, oh, is that guy mad at me? Is I got really pissed off at me? Or is like, no, actually, it's just a laid back person and it's just yeah. writing short sentences or something like that. <laughs> so it it is hard, you know. If you, I think I think culturally though, um, I haven't found too much of a struggle with that because I think it really comes down to the individuals on the team more than the culture itself. I think you get workaholics in India just as well yeah. as you get, get workaholics in America or Germany or, or the UK. And, 
you know, I, I think it really is about the individual connections. I, I wouldn't say, like, I could easily generalize and say, like, no. oh, if I'm working for someone from India, they're going to behave this way or, or, or any, any other place I, I mean, work. But I, I, I do think. find, I, I worked the first time in 2004 with uh, an Indian offshore team. And back then, it was definitely a very big cultural differences, difference between Germany, UK, and India, just in terms of, us Germans were always perceived to be rude. Um, and we always had this perception that everyone in India was just saying yes all the time, the classic stereotype. And I think that has totally gone away. I think people travel more, people work more together. Um, so these days, it's, I think, more about individuals. I'm not sure what you, do you... Yeah, I agree. I agree with Todd. I think it's the individuals that mm. make the team and individuals that set the culture in, within the team, basically. Um, you know, I think one thing we touched on earlier, which is kind of an interesting thing to talk about maybe, is it seems like there's always like a like a, a home office or like the, ah, the yeah. main, the you know, the first, it, and usually it's the first office, you know, it's like, you know, so I'm starting to think of the projects we, we work on, you know, we, we work in London and that was the, the, mothership. the, the, the mothership office, yes. I guess, because it was, but I, I, you know, the irony yeah. of that is actually we don't, we only have a third of the people, if not less, you know, like it, it, there's actually come a point where the, the, the mothership office because it was the first to engage with the client and you know delivery management like I, I work there is is that perceived to be you know the, the main office and, and is that is that always the case is it, are you saying the other other offices are more second class yeah, citizens second, basically yeah, yeah. They're second class citizens really is that we did have I think at, case, at, at times maybe a little bit of that problem because you have the core knowledge you have the people who do the inceptions and discovery phases in in that primary location, and then it is quite easy to to, to farm out the easy to do the boring stuff to the offshore teams. Mm. I, I think it, that has happened quite a lot in my experience with some projects. Uh, luckily, for some other projects, that hasn't been the case. I think maybe on that note, we should talk about what can we do to make distributed teams and offshore offshore teams work. And I think we've kind of implied already a number of things here. So let's maybe talk about the first thing we discussed was clear responsibilities yeah. and maybe also what you just said, interesting work, I guess, and, 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 and you know, give, empower, empower te- teams. Shall we, shall we talk a little bit around, around that, what we can do to uh, have the clear boundaries? So, so yeah, I think, I think some of the lessons learned I have is that you, you need to staff your offshore teams properly. Like, you can't just leave out roles because... You mean you have fully functioning self? You need, uh, yeah, you need you need, contained you need teams. yeah self-contained teams. You need to have you know delivery management. You need to have BAs. You need to have QAs. You need to have dev, dev, DevOps. You need to have all all these roles to allow that team to function autonomously. Right, then because, ten because, QAs or something. Yeah, be, yeah, be, yeah. Because if you if you exclude some of those roles, then mm. the offshore teams are waiting for somebody you know to to come online that fills that role. And that just causes a lot of problems and a lot of overhead. So I think, I think mm-hmm. um, staffing your teams properly is, is one thing for sure to do. Uh, I think finding ways to distribute knowledge um, across the teams, like have you know, real opportunities to make sure like, the tech leads are really in sync. Yeah. Having strong leadership on the teams, having, yeah. you know, having strong tech leadership, having s- strong business ownership. Um, that that's really key because the the tech leads need to be able to sync up with with across all the different locations, and make mm-hmm. sure that you know the, the the team's going in the right direction. You know, what, what you really want to do is empower the offshore teams to be able to work autonomously, right? Like that's the big thing that we we're really looking for. And like I said before, you don't want them to just be twiddling their thumbs, 
waiting for the mother mothership to give the uh, <laughs> give the nod, give, give commands, and they uh, execute. Yeah, yeah, commands that they execute. You want to empower them to make decisions on their own, and that's the way it works best, I think. You want to say anything totally about leadership because I know you have strong opinions about <laughs> tech leadership in teams, and I think that's it's really important. Uh, well, I for the first time. Uh, in a project that I've worked on, I've understood the actual role of technical leadership. So I think I've taken that role a bit of bit for granted because the other folks that I've worked with were spot on with the role, you know, motivating the team, taking the difficult decisions and stuff like that. And in, I think the major problem that I've found is when there's no tech leadership and if you have a team that has a lot of opinion but does not take a stand on a certain decision, I think uh, that's, that's where yeah. the tech leadership comes in and if that is not there, it, it causes a lot of problems, delays and then like you all said, you wait for the mothership to arrive and then like, hey, what do we do? Um, I think that's what has happened to an extent and, and Todd is right, we, we do need to cover all roles. Um, on that note, let's talk about the, the, the separation of work. So assuming you have a, um, a system that is uh, distributed, microservice based, the question then is how do you split the work? So. Oh, maybe just think front end, back end, right? Is how how do we do we slice by uh, by layers and give give certain layers like front end to one team and back end to one team, or do we give certain services to a team or or uh, opinions about like how, how do we? Yeah, what do we so think? so I, I think a lesson learned that that we found on the project we worked on is is that you know I think you can give an offshore team or any team really a, a smaller slice of the pie but but they really suffer because they don't get that full context of the end-to-end -end yeah. business need and mm. when a, a, a team doesn't understand that full context and they're only seeing this sort of tun tunnel vision view then they don't they don't understand the implications of the deci decisions that they're making right yeah. like they, they don't understand how it's going to be used really fully and it's also not very rewarding work. Like you don't you don't know like you know if you're working on a a, a feature that's that's cross platform or cross services, I think that's really more ideal because you, you kind of see how things work all the way through the system. I also think there's massive communication overheads. I mean, we've sort of we've realized this a number of times when we work together that if you have to hand over halfway through where a team yeah. is doing half the feature and then they have to another team has to complete, they might not always understand. And it, it takes quite a while to to, 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 to get them to well, to understand what, what they're what they're supposed to do. And as we know, no developer likes taking over the code of someone else that's half finished. That's just not a not a pleasant <laughs> way to work at. So, yeah, end to end, as you say, Todd. I think I, end to end, feature wise. Yeah, I think that's super important. Yeah, yeah, and that and that all goes in hand in hand with the autonomous staffing the team properly, giving them autonomous stuff that enables you to do the end to end features. Yeah. And then the, the big thing then that's a barrier in the way is, is having the communications to sync up, yep. knowledge sharing. And, and I think one thing you touched on uh, earlier maybe a bit too is that, you know, if people are unhappy in the offshore team, to make sure you get that re those retrospectives in, make sure you feed that back and try to optimize for the whole system overall, not just locally. By location, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. you really want to make sure that this stuff is fed back uh -huh. and, and agreed. I think one thing I find which we did really well and I've seen that on most projects we worked on is that you bring, especially during the, um, when people get onboarded, you bring them together. You have, when we, when we onboard people there, they spent a month in another location. So we had a lot of people from India kind of spent four weeks at the beginning of the project with us in London that everyone is in the same yeah. room. And, and now, I mean, we're here now in Bangalore with you guys to um, do some 
roll-off yeah. uh, um, activities and, and tying loose ends down. And that makes such a big difference. I think that's really valuable because then you, that's the only way you can create those you know, one-to-one relationships. You know, when you see somebody at the other, on other end of the computer, you know, if you met them, then you're sort of like, oh, yeah, that's that person. You know, I had a chance to chat to them and, and actually understand who that person is as a person. You know, and, and I think that is really, really valuable. I think it's, it's also maybe doing a little bit of outside of work, just like, you know, having a drink together or something, where you see that that person is more than just... Work person. A work person, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, work person. And, yeah the guy that does the UX or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> exactly. Because, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the great thing about this industry is we get the opportunity to work with people from different parts of the world, and I, I find that really rewarding to be able to have exposure to, to all these different cultures and peoples and ways of working. And, yeah. you know, the more you do that, the realize the more you realize that pre- people are generally pretty much the same. Everybody's got similar aspirations and, and abilities. And, and mm. I think that's, that's one thing that becomes really obvious when you travel around. I think that is actually, I thought about this when we spoke about benefits, um, that one of the benefits is really to, the, the different cultures can be seen as a problem, but I think they are actually more an advantage or an opportunity because you see people having different thoughts, opinions, attitudes, and we also work with clients from different cultural regions, right? So it's yeah. actually good to have either that, a, that exposure and also have colleagues in those markets that understand the client maybe a little bit better. So I think this diversity is actually great, right? It's, it's not a disadvantage. And sometimes I think we think every, every, everything needs to be homogenous. And I think that is actually maybe the wrong approach. You want a bit of um, that diversity in your, in your teams, definitely. Yeah. So I think we should wrap this up, maybe do some final thoughts. So before I thought about this, I thought my gut feel is that I don't like offshoring distributed teams, that I always think it's like co- co-location is definitely best and it's, it's always what you should push for. But the more I think about it and, and just looking at my experiences and having worked with you guys, I think it's actually a, a massive opportunity and I think it's actually the right thing to go about delivering software um, for the reasons of, as we said, bringing different people together, having a wider resource pool, um, having maybe time differences that can be a, a, a benefit as well. Um, but I think this, the important thing is that you, you, you do this in the right way. You don't go for cheap. You hire experienced, skilled personnel in the other locations. You empower them. You treat them as if they were colleagues with you in the room. Um, and then I think that's a great thing. Super enjoyable. I mean, yeah. So I'm actually for it because I've only ever worked on distributed deliveries. So <laughs> 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 I'm absolutely it for it. Bills, yeah, huh? I know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do agree with Marcel. It's, it's actually meeting new people, learning different cultures. And also when you meet uh, other people with similar skills that you still know that there's still a lot to learn and long way to go. I, I just totally believe, uh, like you said, as long as you get the team sizes, the team auto- autonomous teams, right? Um, the communication collaboration, right? I think it can do wonders to a delivery. Yeah, and yeah, I, I mean, I think we've worked really well together. I mean, but I, I, I don't want to underline. You know, there is a cost. There's definitely a yes, cost yes, yes, to yes, not. Yes, yes. Like I do, like you know, being a delivery guy. If I could have a co-located, if I could have all of you come to London and work there. I guarantee you that, <laughs> that would be just better. We could just you know have face-to-face stand-ups and all, all those you know extra things. So that's definitely my preference. But you know I think I think when it comes to the distributed teams, I think we touched on it before. I think you just got to start from trust. I think you have to like you're hiring this team, you're bringing them. I think you got to start from trust. Yeah. And you got to give them mm-hmm. the tools to be successful, and maybe you staff them, give them full autonomy, give them an equal share at the table to say you know, have their say in how things work, how things are architected, yep. then, it, you know, I think if you start from that place, then I think it, it'll be more successful. All right. All right.
Well, thanks a lot, Zoe. <laughs> Thank you no for problem. joining us today. Thanks. Bye. Bye. That's it for today's episode. Have a look at our show notes with related information and details on how to get in touch at thebarnup.com. We are listener-driven, so please do send us your questions, comments, and ideas for new episodes. We're both practitioners and are happy to discuss interesting opportunities from consulting to coaching to getting involved in actual projects. For inquiries, please visit burnupmedia.com. This podcast is produced by Burnup Media Limited under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 license, which means you can share it as long as you give credit, but you cannot change it or make money of it. Until next time, thanks again for listening and have a wonderful day.